0: We are in a second week, or the second week of a five-week series entitled this, Jesus Is. And our first week, last week, we were in chapter five, and we saw that Jesus is eternal life, because Jesus' his true identity is the life giver, the eternal life giver. And this week, the second week then, our title is Jesus Is the Prophet. Now we're in chapter 6 of John, and Jesus is in the northernmost territory of Israel, which is Galilee, where he's from. And what we're going to do is we're going to start in right away in verse 1 at a miracle. And this miracle is oftentimes uh, called the feeding of the 5,000. When in reality, it was more closer to about 20,000 people. And we'll get there in a little bit. So we're going to start with a question now, revisit that question, and then come again to that question at the end. And here's the question. The question is... Who are you listening to? I had to ask myself that same question a lot this week. Who are you listening to? That's the question, because Jesus is the prophet. Who are you listening to? There's many voices out there. Many voices, they compete for your ears. If you're honest, they compete for your heart and your time and your attention. And can you name those in your own head? What are those voices? Some good, some not so good, some really bad. It could be movies, right? It could be TikTok, could be Instagram, could be music advice, some advice good, some advice bad. Screens of all sorts. All kinds of voices. So have you ever asked yourself, why am I listening to these voices? Why am I listening to this? Why am I listening to that? But besides the many voices... I also want to talk about expectations because there are sometimes unrealistic expectations that we have. And these expectations that we have, they're the first filter that we run into in trying to understand. They are often the things that help us most process information, our expectations. And so if they're off, often they can keep us from the truth. An illustration about expectations (laughs) And this is going to sound a little odd. I was contemplating maybe not talking about this, but I think it will. (laughs) In my marriage with Chris, one of the things that has helped us the most are having realistic expectations. This is true really in any relationship. Realistic expectations with one another. Honestly, sometimes that means lowering our expectations. (laughs) Now, before you jump all over here, what I mean by that is I want to be like Jesus To Chris, and she wants to be like Jesus to me, but I can't be Jesus to her. I'm not her savior. She's not mine either. I I love her more than anybody else on this planet, probably by a long shot. I mean, she's godly. She's fun. She's sweet. She's caring. The list goes on, and that's only a partial list of what she gave me. Just kidding, that was a bad joke, okay? (laughs) Thank you, sister, I appreciate that. I mean, some of those words were my own. But realistically, these expectations, they lead us. Um, They lead us, don't they? And and, and I'm under construction, she's under construction, you're under construction, we're all under construction. To be able to live and love and forgive and have joy together, we need to be careful, With our expectations, expectations, realistic expectations, matter. So what voices are you listening to? And what expectations do you have? Today in this story we're going into the expectations that the Israelites had kept them from hearing and kept them from experiencing the real truth of Jesus' mission... So a little background, this is the feeding of the 5,000, it's called, and it was actually more like about 20,000, we know that, because the other gospel writers wrote about the same event, all four gospels write about this, why? Because it's that important. In the book of Matthew, the account's very clear, it was men, it was women, it was children, and all together, scholars think, between fifteen to 20,000 on the high end were there. The events took place about a half year after chapter five, we're in the springtime, And Passover is at hand. We're going to see that in verse 4 in a second. The characters then today are Jesus, his disciples, large crowd, uh, Philip, Andrew, and a young boy. That's who we have. And the big idea today is this. Jesus is God's voice. Listen and obey. You can open now to John 6, if you haven't yet, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to move through the passage like this. Setting the table to start, then the impossible meal, then the miraculous meal, and then the half-baked response. So I'm going to take us on a trip to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee is really a lake, and it's about three or four times larger than Lake Geneva. Some of you have maybe been to Lake Geneva. And this first map we have shows the traditional site where that little orange is towards the top if you can see it. That's just the traditional site of where this miracle occurred. The second map we have just shows the relationship between the Sea of Galilee and where the Mediterranean Sea is. And so we're going to get into the minds and into the lives of the crowd to try to understand what's happening. Verse 1, John chapter 6. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he, meaning Jesus, himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, who's Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are they for so many? And filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. So our first point. Setting the table. This is the first four verses. Again, we're going deeper into the history or into the minds of these people to see what they're thinking, their expectations. Because if you've been around the Bible for a while or maybe you've participated in a Bible study, what you're seeing is, or maybe a long time, you're you're seeing this in in Bible interpretation, trying to understand the Bible. Something is so important to setting the table to get ready to understand. And what it is is this, that, that God is giving... A specific message to a specific people at a specific time in history. And when he does that, it's up to us. In order to understand, we need to visit them. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to visit them to understand what God is saying so we can understand. So Jesus, first of all, in verse 1, he's crossing the sea. Why? Well, we know this from the other gospels, why he's crossing the sea. Because we learned in Matthew, or we learned in other places that Herod Antipas had just killed his cousin, John the Baptist, the prophet. And so since this isn't time yet for Jesus' confrontation and his going to the cross, he's he's going to a desolate place and he's going to retreat and he's going to rest, it seems. That's why he's crossing. When we get to verse 2, what we see is he's doing something, Jesus is, to the sick, it says. Well, what's he doing? Again, in Apostle Matthew and in other places in the Bible, it's very clear that what Jesus is doing in this event at this time is he's showing compassion all day long to these people, and he's healing their sick, and they're not leaving. Would you leave? I wouldn't leave if I saw that happening right there in real time in front of me. Imagine. Him being right there. People, they wanted this. They wanted these physical benefits. They wanted this healing. They wanted this amazing teaching like they've never seen before. But what we know from a bit earlier in other teachings, in other weeks, is that they were also interested in this, a political Christ, or a military leader, perhaps, to free them. And that's their expectations. That's where they're at. Verse 3 Gives us some clues. Some clues to keep going on as we're setting this table. Verse 3 says this, and verse 4. Verse 3 said, we read it before, Jesus went up on the mountain. That's important. He sat down, and it's the Passover. So when John writes, note this, John loves to write with symbolism. Very important. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this way quite regularly. It's possible that John wanted us to see this parallel between Moses up on Mount Sinai, and Jesus up on the mountain. This is usually how John writes, symbolic like this, in chapter five, verse 46. When Jesus is talking, Jesus claimed that Moses spoke of him. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 46 of chapter five, if you believed in Moses, Jesus is saying, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. There's an incredibly strong link in scripture between Moses and Jesus. All right, verse four, the Passover. This is big because there are huge expectations with the Passover. If you were a Jewish person at that time, this is like for us today, this would be our Independence Day, the 4th of July, times 10 on steroids and then on more steroids. I mean, this is kind of what this would be. It's, It's so big and Moses is the central figure. This original Passover back then in the day with with the exodus and the deliverance, if you're familiar with that story where the Jewish people are in bondage to Pharaoh and they're let go, why? Because of God's power being led by the prophet Moses. In the wilderness, finally they're out with Moses and they're hungry and they have nothing to eat and God provides manna from heaven. Now let's back up a little bit, just back to this passage. Jesus crossed the Red Sea. We saw that, and sorry, he crossed the sea. That was a slip. (laughs) A desolate place he goes to. He showed compassion to the sick, the people they're not leaving. But at this time, what's happening in our passage today, again, the Passover, it's adding to these expectations, to their expectations. The crowd wants their exodus from the Roman oppressors. And they want their manna. Across the sea, a desolate place, up on a mountain, deliverance in mind. They longed for a new Moses. So that's the table. and That's what we're coming to. That's what's been set for us by John. And remember verse 3? Here's something I think is very interesting. In verse 3 it said that Jesus sat down You remember those words, he sat down? That's important. What John is telling us here is in the rabbinic tradition of that day, very true of Jesus, when Jesus is about to teach, he sits and the disciples sit. We're about to be taught something. Second point, the impossible meal. These are verses 5 through 7. The impossible meal. There's There's a real problem here. There's real tension here, and there's a real opportunity at the same time. And what's the problem? Well, it's, it's late in the day. They're in a remote place. There's no possibility of buying food. People are hungry, as we see and we move on. We see that more, and we'll get there in a second. But if you're, if you're a mom or a dad, what possessed you to bring your kids to this desolate place? Is it because you're, you're trusting in this man that's the Messiah, who's God himself? Are you there? Or, or maybe is it that you loved his teachings You see how he loves people? Is it the the healing after healing after healing that you're actually seeing with your own eyes throughout this whole time? Is that what caught you? Is that why you're there? What possessed you? You're in this situation. No food, it seems. And here's Jesus, verse five. Here's what he says. This is Jesus. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And wow, if I think I was Philip, I'd probably defer to Peter. i said, Jesus, can you ask Peter? Or how about that disciple that you love? You know, John, can you talk to him? Ask him. I don't know if I'd want to be the one answering that question. But for Philip, this is a test of his discipleship. Because verse six, what we know here is that Jesus wasn't taken um, off guard here. Jesus knew what he was going to do. This was a test, it says in verse 6, for Philip. Part of his discipleship training. And Philip was from the area, so maybe that's one of the reasons he chose Philip. Back to the problem. Again, if you're a, if you're a mom or dad, or if you're there by yourself, regardless, it doesn't matter. There's no drive through for McDonald's. Believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe this, but Chick-fil-A had not been invented yet. It's not there. There's none of those awesome rolling hot dogs that look sweaty at the mini-mart overnight, if you've seen those. There's none of that. You're so remote, the cell service is not gonna work. No Uber Eats, you're out of luck. There's no chance, it seems. But in the hands of the teacher, in the hands of this rabbi, problems provide testing for teaching to grow one's faith and to refine our faith. But that's true. If you've been a teacher for a while, you know that. Oftentimes problems, they present themselves, but they're teaching opportunities, and this is what Jesus is doing for His people. Here today, when we think of things like, like testing, trials or pain I call them the unwanted or uninvited three they're often necessary. They're hard but they're often necessary in many times, in many ways as disciples of Christ to grow because they force us, frankly, to depend on God, to depend on our compassionate, loving God who is near. I know that was true when my mom was going through hospice. It was a very ugly situation, but I had to depend on God through that. It was growing. I didn't like it. It was growing. We, we have it right now in our congregation We have brothers and sisters who've lost, dear ones. We have parents who are in hospice. We have diagnoses, adults and children, right now. We hurt, and we're in pain, and we grow. But in Philip's case, this is different. His is a a theological test. Kind of a a faith test. Philip probably should have known because he knew that God had provided manna for his people in the wilderness and that the Messiah, he probably should have known, would do the same today. Look at what he says in verse 7. Philip answered him to Jesus. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little this is just establishing the impossibility. There's no way, humanly speaking, that they can get food for the people. 200 denarii is worth, it's about six to eight months worth of wages. There's no way. And they're remote, desolate. It's late in the day. They cannot get food. They know that. This episode is a teaching opportunity for his disciples to trust him more, to love him more. Now, We move on to verses eight through 13, and this is uh, two more people show up on the scene. Third point, the miraculous meal. I'm gonna look at these quickly, verse eight through 13, because I've already read it. But we see is Andrew's involved here, and Andrew's talking to Jesus, and he says, there's a boy here. There's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But he says, what are they for so many? Andrew knows. There's no possibility of food. Jesus says to sit down. Again, it's a grassy place, and there's about 5,000 men there, about 20,000 total. And here's what happens Jesus then took the loaves from the boy. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, and they had as much as they wanted. And you remember before, there was even leftovers. Everybody literally was fed. This isn't a symbolic or spiritual message. This is a physical miracle where Jesus fed over 5,000, close to 20,000 people with leftovers. You know, the amount of food that they actually started with is much less than you might think. Because the, the barley loaves of that day were more like Costco muffins, like those big muffins. So there's five of those. And the fish we're talking about with this boy would typically would have be pickled fish. It would be almost like served like a relish. So it's not, you know, too big trout. It's more like small barley loaves. And even barley bread was the food of poor people in Israel. Speaking of the amount again, it's it's kind of like Lunchables. I mean, I think of uh, maybe one or two, maybe three Lunchables at most. Now, I when I was a kid, they didn't have Lunchables. I'm so sad about that. But later on, I had some Lunchables, and I thought they were okay. Did anybody ever have Lunchables? I I think I think they're okay. I I like them. You know, I think that's what is that? 12 grams of protein? That's good. Uh, They're good but they're not as good as what the hospitality team puts out there between services. Am I I right? (laughs) Thank you, hospitality team. But again, the third point that we're on is this miraculous meal, verses eight through 13. And there's one thing, there'll be another in a minute, but there's one thing I just want to get here that we see, it's so important. What the people are seeing here is that Jesus is greater even than the prophet Elisha. And if you haven't seen that before, I just want to point this out, because there's three indicators here. One, barley loaves. Two, not enough to feed people. God needs to do something. And three, there were leftovers. You see, way back in Israel's history, in our book of Second Kings, the Hebrew Scripture, the, the book of the Kings, there's a similar food miracle that God does that foreshadows today's events. And that is when God miraculously, through his prophet Elijah, fed a hundred men when they had not nearly enough. And he used barley bread and there was leftovers. So the people knew. They caught this. They could understand if they knew their scripture, and they did. Good Jewish people would know this. They don't miss the details. Jesus is greater than the prophet Elijah. Elijah fed a hundred through God's miracle, Jesus is feeding almost 20,000. Jesus is a far greater prophet than Elisha. Verse 13, remember there's 12 baskets left over? God is saying that he can meet all the needs of not just us, the 12 tribes of Israel. And of course, all of us today, he does more. He lavishes his goodness on all of us. So all this we just talked about, and with Jesus being greater than the prophet Elisha, of course, I've already mentioned Moses. And we don't want to forget that because there is this one more prophet. This, this whole scene points to this prophet, the one who is, was the greatest prophet of all time. It's pointing to the feeding of the Israelites in the wilderness with bread and manna from heaven. Remember, they were in captivity and the Lord took them out of the wilderness. They were short on food and provided manna from heaven. God provided. So, as we get to these last two verses, we're going to see the reaction, we're going to see the response. Of the people again with this history with this with these expectations understanding their prophets and what's happening today we move to the last two verses verse fourteen and verse fifteen the half baked response the reaction of the people half baked half understanding of what's really happening for the day I have this friend who thinks it's okay to serve half cooked meat. You probably don't want to have what he does, but he grills food, and I guess that's okay with hamburger. I mean, you know, sometimes a little more pink for people—that's fine, a little runny, but not so with chicken, right? You don't do that with chicken. Not a good idea. So one night he decides he's cooking chicken on the grill for his family. He brings out the plate to him. They look at it. It's rubbery. It's pinkish. They send it back. He cooks it, of course, and so they eat and they're happy. But he decides to eat the way he likes it. So he eats his half-cooked chicken. You know how this is going to end. It's not good. Everything was fine initially for the first six hours or so. And after a trip to an ER, he really wished he would have listened to his wife and kids because all those amazing, ugly benefits of food poisoning he got, he didn't get it. In verse 14, though, they to, the Israelites seemed to kind of get it initially, right? Seemed initially they kind of understood the events of the day. But then when you get to verse 15, and we're going to look at that 14 and 15 here in a second, what you're going to see is that the understanding of Jesus' mission by the people, by the crowd, was half-baked. It was half-cooked. Their stubborn expectations poisoned their understanding of Jesus' mission. Let me read verse 14 again. Verse 14 says this When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. So they understand at this point, they get it. This is the prophesied prophet. Jesus, the one from Nazareth, With a capital P, prophet, from Deuteronomy chapter 18. We're going to go there in a minute. But Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, this is what they're understanding. The messianic prophet that was promised way back before them in ancient times in the book of Deuteronomy is coming true right in front of their eyes. Here's what it says. And this is Moses speaking. This is Deuteronomy 18.15. See the connection here. Moses says this. The Lord your God, speaking to the nation of Israel, way back, will raise up for you a prophet like me. He's saying like himself, Moses. From your brothers, meaning from the people, the Jewish people. And here's what's important. It is to him you shall listen. So how is Jesus like Moses? I mentioned some before, but here's, here's a few things. Like Moses, Jesus provided bread from heaven. OK, we get that. Like Moses, God's words are in the mouth of Jesus. And in Deuteronomy 18:18, 18, 18, it actually says this a few verses later, this is God speaking, "And I will put my words in His mouth in Jesus' mouth, this new prophet to come." And we know from John chapter one, verse one. you remember what that says? Way back in John 1:1? We see that Jesus is the very word of God. Jesus is like, or Moses is like Jesus in that Jesus communed with the Father, like Moses communed with the Father. Like Moses, Jesus is the deliverer. See all these connections? Maybe right now with the wandering I just talked about, maybe that's what's on your heart today. Maybe you're watching online or maybe you're right here. And you feel, I don't have to convince you of this, but you feel like you're wandering. You feel maybe like you're in a dark place. And maybe you're not sure who this prophet, Jesus, who actually is God himself, the Messiah, actually, maybe you feel far from him because of darkness. Maybe, it, maybe it's even sin in your own life. And I don't have to tell you that. You know that. You feel it. And if that's where you are today, you can stop That now. You can apologize to Jesus and come to him for forgiveness because he will. He is good, compassionate, loving, and merciful. And he loves you so much. Come to him out of darkness into the light. That's why he went to the cross. To take your sins, that penalty. It's over when you come to him in faith. Into his forever family. Forever secure. Out of darkness into the light. If you're wandering, come to him. Back to Deuteronomy, what's happening there? So, you remember the passage says this it is to him, meaning this future prophet Jesus, who's actually God the Messiah, it's to him you shall listen. Well, what was around this passage? God was telling people to, to listen to this new one to come, but not to listen to other voices. And there were some other voices that were really dark. And what were they? Well, it's any of those. It says in this passage, a little before it, it says any of those people who pretend to speak spiritual truth, but that are far from the Scripture. Or even it says there in this same passage: Don't listen to fortune tellers. Do not listen to people who suppose to inquire or talk to the dead. Don't listen to witches. Don't listen to diviners, spiritists, or anybody or anything involved in occultic practices. Now that sounds like that's then, right? No. It's today too, people. So if anybody is getting grabbed by any of these things, whether you're online or here, walk away, walk away, walk away. It only leads to darkness. Come to him. That's the one we're called to listen to. His name is Jesus. So... Jesus is the prophet. What voices and whose voice are you listening to? Because Jesus is the new prophet. Jesus is the New Testament prophet. He's the new covenant prophet. And he's the final messianic prophet. The crowd declared that in verse 14... I mean, they were right. They confirmed it. And the Apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 3, verse 20 through 22, the Apostle Peter says the same thing. He confirmed that Jesus was the promised new prophet, the one like Moses to come. But when we get to verse 15, then, the Israelites, again, this half baked understanding, undeveloped, wrong because of their expectations. See what happens here. Verse 15, I'm going to read it again. Jesus here is perceiving then that they were about to. This means the crowd. The crowd was coming to him to take him by force to make him king. He's the God of the universe, and they're trying to take him by force to make him king right there in that moment. Jesus withdrew again up on the mountain. You see their expectations? They're missing something here, right? Wrong expectations always equal a wrong understanding. That's where it leads you. In the mind of the people, the crowd They have this political mindset, this understanding, especially with Passover at hand, that today they think just might be, or this season might just be their national independence from Rome. They saw the sign, right? The sign of the miracle, but they didn't perceive its meaning. What they wanted to do is, if they could, if they could, get get a gold crown and put it on him. But Jesus has a different crown in mind, crown of thorns. And his path is to the cross. And this is about one year from now, from that time, that that would happen. Their expectations were half-baked. I want to conclude here, just as we think about peace for Israel and deliverance from Israel, what they were thinking, peace for us, deliverance for us, and what we're thinking from sin, from darkness. That path first comes through the suffering servant Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins, raised again three days later, ascended into heaven, who is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and he will sit on the throne. You know, Jesus loves us too much. He loves you too much and me too much to give us, to meet our faulty wants or our faulty expectations. He is way too good, way too compassionate, and too perfect to do that. He loves you. And this miracle that we saw today in this passage contained a very nice boy who gave his stuff up to Jesus, and that's wonderful. And apostles who were willing to help and distribute, and that's wonderful. But this event in history, as wonderful as sharing is, is not about sharing. It's about the declaration that Jesus is the new prophet That's who he is, the messianic prophets, the one voice to listen to, Jesus Christ. And the people declared it, yet they still missed his mission. The challenge today for us, then, is to take an inventory. I mentioned before, what voices are you listening to, but also what are your expectations? With that in mind, I have three so whats. The first is this Has Jesus become your tool? And by tool, what I mean is a tool in the negative sense. I suppose tools can be positive. But I mean a tool, like an object, to be used. Because it's a temptation. It's a temptation for me, I'm sure. It's a temptation maybe for all of us at times. Instead, is he, and do you see him as your merciful savior, the one who loves you, compassionate, all-powerful, and all-good? Has he become a financial tool, a personal improvement tool, a healing tool, a happiness tool? What has he become? Has he become... Now, I go to God with these things, yes, but has he become a a tool? That's number one. Number two, another so what is, are your expectations in line with God's word? So by reading, by studying, and by meditating on God's word, we realize that not just from the big idea today, which is Jesus is God's voice. Listen and obey because he's not a tool. We know that, right? But his primary message has always been repent and come to him. And repent repent simply means change your mind. And in this context, it means change your mind about who you are before God in need of a Savior who is holy and we are sinners before this God. We change our mind and we come to him because he offers forgiveness. So we repent. And what are our expectations? That's the inventory we want to take. Third thing, and this is for you to fill in, fill in the blank. Stop something, (laughs) whatever it is. I can't tell you what that is. Something that's taking you away from the voice of God, something that's taking you away from the truth, something that's competing with the truth of God and his love for you and your life. He has what's best for you. It's not always what we want, but what's best for you, stop whatever. You fill in the blank. Maybe it's ungodly advice from a friend. Maybe you need to run from that advice. But if something has you, and I mean it has you tight, and I call it a stronghold, it's called strongholds in Scripture, something that has you in a place that's pulling you from God, taking you from God, keeping you away from God's family or his holy word, that's a stronghold. And it's an idol because you're rising it and pulling it and pushing it and moving it above God. Those are idols. We all have them from time to time in different seasons. Stop, whatever that is, what do you fill in the blank? And listen Jesus today he loves you praise God because he will deliver you from that you can confess that sin to God you can go to someone who you can trust talk about that pray and move forward out of darkness and into light he loves you that much he'll do that as we end this sermon and start to move in time of communion John, the writer, the author, the apostle says this in John 20, starting around verse 30, and I'll paraphrase. He's talking about, John is talking about the signs, all these miracles in the book of John, how important that is to point us to Jesus. But he says that there's too many, I can't write them all in the book. And then John 20, verse 31, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's what we're doing here today. We open up the word of God and we listen. And so as we take communion together, friends, whether you're, you're here as part of the church or you're online or, or whether you're visiting today, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, God and man, who's come to rescue you from your, for your, from your sins, died on the cross, rose on the third day, take communion today with us. Do that. Do that. If if you're not sure where you are with Jesus in relationship, whether he's your savior today or not, then instead of taking communion, come see me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to trust in Jesus for salvation. And so you can get, not yet, but you can get songs here in a moment. We're going to sing another song. And when we do, if you need a cup for communion still, there's some over to the uh, right column there, the left column, or straight by those double doors, there's a cup. As we sing, you can go grab those, but I'd like to take a minute right now, just in the quietness of our hearts and in silence, pray together for a minute and, and, and ask God, what's in that blank for me today? Or what sin do I need to confess? And let God's voice be the loudest voice in your life as we pray now. Let's do that in silence.